So Money Episode 866, Ask Farnoosh with special co-host, Christina Hamadi. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everybody, March 29th, 2019. Welcome back. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. We are getting closer and closer to the Stacks House launch. If you haven't gotten your tickets yet for our April 17th open, and we'll be there in Los Angeles for several weeks, you have time to hang out with us. Get your tickets now. The earlier you get them, the more likely you can pick for the dates that you want and the time slots that you want. So please go to stackshouse.com. For so many listeners, we obviously have a discount. Just use So Money Stacks LA, So Money Stacks LA for 20% off your ticket. By the way, um, I am starting a bit of an ambassador program for Stacks House. So if you're somebody in the LA area who's like, I want to come and also I want to bring like a bunch of friends and I know people who would be interested in coming, let let me know so that we can work together and you can benefit from helping us sell tickets. Get in touch. I guess the best way is to just email me. Take note. It's Farnoosh, my first name, at Farnoosh, second name, dot TV. Okay. Farnoosh at Farnoosh dot TV. Also, you can direct message me on Instagram. I'm like 12 years old. I'm constantly on Instagram. Um, whatever. That's just my life right now. I think I'm not alone. I think Instagram's a little popular. All right. It is Friday. It's Ask Farnoosh Friday. And we are now going to be sifting through our Instagram, as it turns out. Lots of questions coming in through Instagram, as always, about, oh gosh, when to cash out on a mutual fund, how to manage your, you know, your life when you're a parent and your spouse is out of town for a week which by the way, right now I'm in San Francisco and I have been here for the past week with my son. So Tim and I kind of split parenting duty. He's with our daughter in New York. I'm with Evan in San Francisco during my son's spring break. It's, uh, it was sort of an impromptu thing, but um, I should be asking my husband how he's doing on the home front without me. I think he's doing fine. But I do have some advice for couples out there that want to like, you know, learn how to navigate, you know, the solo parenting uh, when one partner is out of town. As is the tradition here or recent tradition, we have a guest on with me today, co-hosting, who is a listener who is very so money. And her name is Christina Hamadi. Christina, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to connect with you voice to voice. You and I have been chatting on the Instagram for a, several months. First, you just reached out to share your enthusiasm about listening and, you know, really happy that you had found the podcast. And then later, I, I think I said something on the podcast and you wrote in with a question and some uh, even a better idea about how to have answered that question. I look, really appreciate that, by the way. I'm not one of those podcast hosts or quote unquote experts that thinks I know everything. I don't. And I lean sometimes on, you know, the community to call me out or say, hey, that was one answer, but here's another way to approach it. I love that. I think that's a sign of 
success when you're a podcast host that you've got an, an engaged audience that feels comfortable reaching out to you. And Christina, you are that person. And you come to this podcast with a lot of great professional experience, financial success. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I know that you work in the banking finance world. What's going on over on your side of the side of the phone? Um, <laughs> such a broad question. I didn't think that I'd end up in finance for work. I was a women's studies and English major. So that's what I was doing in college. Then I went to law school and I just, I really liked the idea of estate planning. So that's how I got drawn to this career. So I work um, at a fortune 100 insurance company in an area um, where I'm on a team of attorneys and we field a lot of questions around those advanced planning topics that you mentioned, like charitable giving and retirement planning, tax planning, estate planning. So that's kind of how I ended up here. And I actually love, um, I love the teaching aspect. I love the question marks. Like you said, there's, there's so many angles, any question can go. And, um, there are a lot of things that I think that I know, but I always double check because there are so many windy paths you go down with tax planning and financial planning. So, um, it's just really hard to keep everything straight. So I think, um, I love that there's, always more learning to do in this field. So much of it is, of course, technical and there are fine rules associated with all sorts of, you know, financial products and strategies, but then so much of it is also emotional and personal. Right. Um, which is not something you can Google search necessarily or go on the IRS website to find out. You have to kind of do a gut check. First question from Carrie on Instagram seems pretty straightforward, but I think there is a lot of room here for conversation and back and forth. Her question is, Christina, that she has heard that it's better to put money in your IRA rather than pay down your mortgage. And now I think, you know, whoever gave her this advice was probably looking at it from a ROI perspective, you know, given that historically the stock market over time, you know, t decades, and we're talking, you know, let's say just the US stock market does perform better than perhaps this, you know, the, the, what you would um, earn back on interest savings by paying down your mortgage, which is, you know, for a lot of us these days that have mortgages that we've gotten in the last 10 years, it's like 4% you know, 5% versus an IRA that could earn 5%, 6%, 7%, 10%. You don't, you know, there's, there's a lot of space there for an unknown, but I think a lot of people would say that the market returns better than the interest rate on a, on a mortgage. But there's more here, I think, than um, is, that, that we should talk about that. It's not just percentage returns, right? Yeah. I mean, I think of it that way. I'm more of just like a logical person. Um, my partner and I were actually trying to buy a house this year and it fell through. Um, and I was at first like, oh, let's do a 15-year mortgage because then we can pay it back quick and that sounds great. And then we have all this equity. But then thinking about the opportunity cost of doing that, where could that extra payment go and what could that money be doing? Mm -hmm. um, I opted for a third. We ended up opting for a 30-year one. Of course, that didn't go through. But that's how I was thinking about that. So I think it depends. I mean, I obviously wouldn't skip a mortgage payment. <laughs> right. Uh, no. But if the question is prepaying it, um, I don't really think there's a big benefit to doing that Like from a logical perspective. Now, there may be other – some people hate having debt. And I know right. you talk about the emotional aspect of things a lot. Um, but just from a purely like analytical standpoint – 
um, you hit the nail on the head. We're in such a low interest rate environment historically for mortgages. Um, and if the market corrects, which a lot of people think it will in, in the next couple of years, then you're going to be buying your investments on sale and you have such a runway as a young person. I'm assuming she's younger, um, to have your money grow in a tax sheltered account. So to some degree, I could see where that person's coming from. Yes. And if we're talking a traditional IRA, that's an investment that can then help you with your tax savings every tax year, as you know, kind of like with a 401k. I think the other thing they think about is, and you mentioned this, is like, what is your horizon? You know, what is your what kind of how much time are we talking about at which point this IRA can continue to grow? I assume she's um, still in the earlier stages of retirement planning. If she hasn't quote unquote saved enough or maybe playing some catch up, that an IRA is a great place to do that. If there's anything left over that you don't need for other, you know, savings purposes, then sure, put an extra payment towards the mortgage. David Bach wrote that book, The Automatic Millionaire, and he talks about just even a 13th payment. So you have your 12th payments a year, doing an, an extra payment every year towards the principal of your mortgage can shave off, you know, so much money, depending on the you know value of your mortgage, it could be tens of thousands of dollars. And it could also reduce, of course, the length of your of, your, of the term, and then you're paying less interest. So I, I think I like the idea of putting a little bit more towards the mortgage every month. If, if if you've got all these other bases covered, you know, you've got your emergency savings, you're saving for retirement, you've got all your bills paid. Why not? Agreed. And I feel like that um, discussion of the 15 versus 30, that was just something that that was even part of the analysis was like, well, if we go with 30, we always have the flexibility to yes. pay it, but we're not, our hands aren't tied to this yes. higher amount every month. So I do love the idea of prepaying a bit and having that flexibility. But yeah, um, if she's doing an analysis between two different um, time horizons for the mortgage, I would, yeah, encourage her to think about the opportunity cost and the idea of flexibility there. Yeah, I always say you can do you can DIY your 15-year mortgage. <laughs> Start out with the 30-year and then just pay a little bit more so that essentially you're getting out of this in 15 years if that's what you want. But then like you said, if you have a down year, if you, you know, can't make that extra payment for whatever reason, you're not bound to it. You're not going to be penalized. Yeah. Good luck, Carrie. Gina also on Instagram. She's 34 years old, uh, she says, and she is just now taking her finances seriously. So she wants to know about tips, books, recommendations. I mean, clearly she's listening to this podcast, so she seems resourceful and plugged in to some extent. I've had so many authors on this show. I, Gina, would just literally go, if you're new to the podcast, go to somanypodcast.com and click on archives. And you can just literally see all of the guests that I've had, a lot of them authors. And just off the top of my head, I remember having on um, Erin Lowry, who's the author of Broke Millennial. She has a new book out soon. That's The Broke Millennial Takes on Investing. She's building a huge career as a financial author. Her books are doing really, really well. I would say also check out books by David Bach, whom I just mentioned. Jean Chatsky has great books. I have books. Uh, so that the books, I think, you know, just going to a bookstore, going to the personal finance section, uh, you won't um, find any shortage of books. I also love Ramit Sethi's book, which is I Will Teach You to Be Rich. 
excellent. He is actually coming out with an like an updated version soon. So might want to wait for that. Yeah. So books, no problem. Podcasts, obviously you've got so money under wraps, but going to the investing section of the podcast area in iTunes, you'll find a lot of um, women focused podcasts. Maybe not a lot, but you know, there's 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 a bunch. You, Christina, probably have a few tips, right? You're always in this space. What do you like to consume? Yeah. Um, well, I think podcasts are awesome because I like to multitask. So I listen to you um, and some others, you know, when I'm walking my dog or taking in the long walk or doing chores. So I think that kind of always having some learning going on, even if it's just passive, like listening to a podcast is a great place to start. She's obviously doing that. Um, one kind of unconventional way of doing it and you do need to be, you know, be conscious of accuracy issues that may come up. But my sister, who's not, she doesn't work um, directly in the financial planning space. She works at a bank, but she actually learned a ton from Reddit. So she actually knows almost as much as I do, even though this huh. is not a job. And she learned it all from Reddit. So she just gets obsessed with the topic. And one year it was finance and she got a bunch off Reddit. Um, your books. Yeah. I loved, um, when she makes more. Um, and then this one is kind of random. It almost has like a, um, it almost, it's an older book, but I really love the secrets of six figure women. You just read stories about women and kind of inspires you to take a look at your own, um, your own worth and figure out what am I worth? What should I ask for? Um, I think that automating is a great tip. So now that you know what you should be saving and what your debt to income ratio should be, just automate that stuff, either downsize your apartment um, put those recurring contributions on your paycheck so that this amount is automatically going to your 401k every month. But those are kind of my big tips. Just mm -hmm. keep and keep learning and automate everything. When it comes to saving money, I like to see everybody, particularly you know women, because we're we pay more for things, unfortunately, because of the ping tax. We're also living longer, and um, we I would say have a good six to nine month emergency savings somewhere that really does help you out in case you lose your job or you become disabled or you're just like, screw it. I'm out of this job because I hate my boss. Having money will give you the agency to do that. So six to nine months of savings to cover your living expenses as you figure things out for your next steps. Retirement, contributing at least 10% to 15% of your paycheck into a retirement account, whether that's your 401k at work and or an IRA. I, I would really like to see that everyone do that. Although I will just say that you want to still first maybe run some calculators to see if you need to be saving that much or if you need to do more than that much. But 10 to 15% is usually a good average. And then I would say to use this time in your life to invest in yourself still, you know, picking up new skills, trying challenging projects at work, asking for a raise. Uh, they say that women typically make their most in their career timeline in their late 30s, early 40s. It's not kind of the same as men. So you're about to approach kind of like your peak earning years. And this is really a good time to be up-leveling your, your roles and your responsibilities and asking for what you're really worth. So that is a good way to, I think, kind of jumpstart or give your financial planning a jolt if you feel like you're kind of playing catch-up is to try to earn more and maybe get that side hustle too to help supplement some of your income. 
So just some really quick tips for you. Um, Love that you're part of the community and I'm sure you'll have more questions on your journey, Gina. So please keep the questions coming. Kaylee wants to know, when is the best time to liquidate a mutual fund for a big purchase? Is five years too soon? This is a little bit of a technical question, I think, right? Yeah, definitely. There's several things that you have to think about. So a lot of financial products have um, kind of penalties priced in or surrender charges. I'm not as familiar with mutual funds, but you want to look at if there's going to be some sort of charge for getting out if you're relatively new in the product. So that's the first thing is, is there any kind of penalty for getting out of this product at the time that you want to get out of it? Um, I think you also need to think about tax considerations. So if there's been a lot of growth, you need to keep in mind um, how liquidating your position might impact your tax bill at the end of the year. Um, That kind of goes hand in hand with the next thing I would be thinking about, which is I'm not really a big fan of market timing, but I do think that if you know you're going to make a big purchase soon and um, this mutual fund is at a high point in terms of value that it's been at, you know, historically within the last few years, then maybe think about liquidating at a time when it is at a high point instead of, um, you know, just sitting there and then it goes down. I do think it depends when you need the money. I, I do. I, yeah. I don't know. I have- no, that's that's probably the most important thing. I mean, certainly there's tax consequences. I did bring up the really good point about um, the fine print with every investment with every you know fund there there may be some things to consider as far as an, like you know quote unquote early withdrawal and there's also back end loads you know so that's a that's that was something that you would have to pay potentially a percentage of your gains that will be deducted from your total redemption value so just read the fine print i mean it wouldn't be bad to just get on the phone right with the fund and ask these kinds of questions what are the What's the reality if you liquidate? But I think what you mentioned, um, Christina, about timing is of the utmost because, yeah, if this is something that you want to afford, whatever this goal is, in the next six months, then it's important to just you know make this decision sooner than later. Typically, the advice in the investing world is to not put your money anywhere as far as an investment's concerned, like running the stock market, if you need it in five or fewer years. Because that's not really enough time to have allowed that stock or that mutual fund to kind of go through the motions of the stock market. I remember during the Great Recession of 2008, 2009, my boss at the time, Jim Cramer, who, you know, did get a lot of heat at the time for his recommendations and his you know, having not exactly like a sense of where the market was going, but really who did. And But one of the things that I really um, appreciated that he would talk about during that crisis time was that, look, because people were like, where do I put my money? I don't trust the stock market. And he was like, look, certainly if you need this money in five or fewer years, don't risk it in the stock market. The stock market is too volatile of a thing. One year you're up, one year you're down, then you're sideways. The beauty of the market is really only revealed in over time, right? Over decades where you can see the beautiful upward trajectory. But if you zoom in, it's a ton of zigzags and you don't want to be vulnerable to just a five-year clip. You want to perhaps give yourself 
10 years. So if you have money that you want to claim in five years, reclaim in five years, put it in something more secure like a CD, a bond, or just plain old savings account. Just wanted to throw that little bit of literacy out there. What do you think of that, Christine? I mean, that's pretty typical, right? Don't put your money in the market if you need it really soon. Yeah, I agree with everything that you said. I think one of the things that, and I can kind of relate to this, having been in the position of being about to buy a house and now having that chunk that I was going to use for the down payment, um, kind of just sitting there, it the the kind of the part that's not so great right now is just that there's not the CDs, the quote unquote high interest savings accounts really aren't offering that high of interest at all. No. Um, so it is kind of, I understand the dilemma of being in there in that, um, you know, I don't know when I'm going to use this. I know it's probably going to be within five years. Um, but one thing, and I think you and I connected on this at one point, um, over Instagram is what you can do with something like that. Um, and this is just, if you don't have the funds from any other source, like let's say this is just sitting there and you don't know what to do with it. One thing I did with that, that sum of money that I had sitting there was, I contributed it to my Roth because I didn't have any extra money other than that to contribute to the Roth for last year and this year. So I'm putting it in the Roth um, with the understanding that you can always get your contributions out um, tax and penalty free at any time. So yes, even though I don't recommend using a Roth as a savings account and I recommend being in it for the long term and having that growth, um, that tax favored growth over time, um, I do think that's a great place to stick some of that money, even though it's invested, um, because you can always get it out, you know, tax free. But that's with the caveat that, yeah, the market's going to do whatever it's going to do. And you got to be okay with that. Yeah, for sure. All right. Good luck to you, Kaylee. Okay. One last question from Kristen on Instagram. How to juggle career and family when your husband is out of town? You are not there yet, uh, Christina, perhaps someday. <laughs> I am in the thick of it. Um, I, I think in my life, it's it's usually the reverse uh, where I'm out of town and Tim is home with the kids. Um, so I would ask him what he does. But the first thing that really needs to happen is before your husband leaves town is to really have a conversation about you know, what realistically the week is going to look like for you. And are there some things that you can pre plan pre-implement before he goes away so that things can run relatively smoothly while he's gone. And I think you should be not feeling any guilt to bring in a helper during that week, right? Like I think as women, sometimes we feel as though, you know, I got this. And also some husbands, some spouses feel like, well, if we are both capable of doing laundry, why should we hire someone to do it? I actually saw this on the Marie Kondo uh, show recently on Netflix, where there was this household she visited and two parents with little kids and the wife was a stay-at-home mom. And he, the biggest point of contention was laundry because she was like, I can't ever do it. And it takes so much time. And the husband was saying, well, I don't want to pay for it because we're not, you know, what's the, what's, what's the big deal? It's not rocket science. Like you can do this. And it was so infuriating to me because I was like, dad, it's not about who can do it and who's good at it. It's about time. And what is your time worth? And so 
I think you really want to talk to your partner about not just for this trip, but like long term, what are some things that you guys can invest in um, to allow for your household to run more hummingly and that you guys can get back some of that valuable time. So if it's someone who comes and does the laundry, someone who does maybe the grocery shopping for the week, somebody who comes and helps your kids with homework twice a week at night so that you can like you know, go and do more work or have a moment at the gym or whatever you want to do. I think every family is different. Their values are different, but figuring out what are some of those areas you're willing to invest for help is going to be helpful, not just for the whole year, but especially when you're solo parenting for that week when one of your partners is on a trip. Number two is that just because your spouse isn't physically there, there are still things that he or she can do remotely to support you. So for example, Just today, I was thinking, you know, I'm going to be out for a week with Evan and Tim's going to be home with Colette. It it would be just a nice thing for me to do. And since I am always doing this, you know, why don't I do a little bit of the online grocery shopping while I'm out in San Francisco and have it delivered to the house? You can do these things virtually. You can order things to come to the house. You can um, still be emailing with the school even though you're out of town. So luckily in 2019, just because you're physically away doesn't mean you're actually away and that you're incapable of still supporting your family via email, via you know direct deliveries, FaceTiming. It should not feel like you have to do it all on your own and your partner can definitely help out with um, a lot of the heavy lifting even though they're not actually there. That, those are my two big tips. Does that make sense to you, Christina? I'm, do I sound like I'm just <laughs> I'm just a lazy person who outsources everything? I'm not. I do a lot around the house. No, I think hiring for help, if you can afford it, whether it's laundry or whatever it is, those tasks that you guys both can't stand to do or you don't have time to do, I think that's super smart. I think that was one of the first things I thought of reading that question. Um, I think communicating is key. Like you said, with your partner, um, she didn't really talk about like the division of labor or if he's the main breadwinner or they share that kind of, they're both bringing in the same amount. Um, my partner, um, he's a resident, but he's almost done. So he will be making like way more than I make, but I still take my job really seriously. So if he were away and we had kids, I would not want to, like you said, try doing it all and have things fall in the cracks at work. Um, I'm really lucky to work somewhere though, where I can also just communicate with my boss and I could at our company, you can ask for alternative work schedules. You can work remotely. Um, so just communicating both with your partner and with your boss and just, they, I don't know the culture at your work, but, um, maybe being someone that can help build a culture of, um, you know, just tolerance for different things that people have going on. So hopefully she's got a nice boss and she has some of that ability that I certainly take advantage of here at my job. I think that's a brilliant idea. And one I completely forgot about because I work from home and don't have the you know, nine to five set up, but your own boss. a thousand percent, right? Having a conversation, not just with your partner, but with your employer about, you know, this is going to be a bit of a challenging week for me. My partner's out of town. I can't imagine anyone who can't relate to that right. to some extent, whether personally or having heard this from like close friends and family. 
And I'm sure other people at work have had the similar experience. So to say, could I work from home in the mornings because it's really hard for me to commute while getting my kids ready for school, all that, like it would give me a lot of um, flexibility. And I'll, of course, be online. I'll work evenings when they're in bed. Yeah, I think it's just a week, right? So anything that you need, here's the thing. You got to say what you need. Yep. You have, and I, it sounds so simple, but we often don't. We don't just say what we need because we're afraid of being judged. We're afraid of, oh, is, is, am I asking for too much? Just say what you need. And, and often you'll get it if you, if you say it sincerely. And, and you know, it's, and who doesn't want to help out a parent these days? I think we've progressed a little bit on that front where I think in the workplace, especially, um, people are demanding increasingly work life balance and more of a understanding of, you know, that the home life is a big shift. Uh, it's a big load to take on. And so it would behoove employers to make sure that they are able to create an environment that is sustainable for you so that you don't leave, right? So that they can retain you. All right, Kristen, good luck. Okay. That's my last tip is that you're going to need a little bit of luck too, but hopefully your kids will be well behaved. <laughs> they go to bed on time. They, they cooperate. They listen to mom. Uh, but thank you for the question. Really appreciate you being in the audience and let us know how things go. Christina, thank you so much. Such a pleasure to connect with you finally. Likewise. I love what you do and I think it's great. And I make all my sisters and cousins, especially the women, <laughs> listen to it. I even plug it with my customers who are financial advisors, I definitely will tell them on like low key, like this is what I listen to to stay these in your podcast is one of them to stay on top of the industry and what people are talking about. Wow. Thank you so much. That's such a huge endorsement. Um, really appreciate having you in the community and please let's have you back again, you know, as uh, I know you're in the midst of, um, you know, getting more education, right? Yeah, I just sat for the CFP this week. So hopefully I... Well, uh, then we have to have you back when you're official, (laughs) when you got the title and the rank. Awesome. Well, good luck. And please, well, you know, it's just going to happen. We'll see you back here in in short time. (laughs) All right. You know where to find me and I know where to find you. So for sure. Thank you for having me. And everybody listening, I hope your weekend is so money. Money. 